Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. I'm going to do another intro in a second. That's my older intro. But I just thought I would say one thing I forgot to mention on my last intro that I did a number of years ago. By the way, it's 2018. Is uh, I forgot to mention the ink spots. And the ink spots are on this episode, the 1948 episode of the Jack Benny Show. And they sing If I Didn't Care. And it is an absolute classic, classic song. And the Ink Spots were an African American group, one of the um, earlier uh, big, huge uh, African American groups singing uh, wonderful songs together and would pave the way for uh, the Motown groups and all of that in the, in the 60s and, and beyond. I just think it's neat that Jack would actually feature them on his show, which is fantastic what an open mind he had and his producers and and all the folks involved Bing Crosby's also on this episode of the Jack Benny show and I think you really enjoy that as well uh the other thing I thought I would mention is after this episode of the Jack Benny show then we get into the Phil Harris show where he has some publicity problems and then following that we have um another episode where I'm introducing it and it's one of my earlier introductions, so it's it's not a very a great introduction, but I thought some folks might want to hear it from, that might be even 10 years old or more. Anyway, uh, and before we get on to the show, the other thing I thought I would mention is both of the Jack Benny shows tonight have upgrades from the great Cobalt Club collection that they have, and, and man, they are nice upgrades with great sound, and it's great to hear the ink spots sing a song in such clear sound quality anyway without further ado here's my old intro and then we'll get uh, a chance to hear um, milt josephberg tell us about writing the episode and then into the episode enjoy hello again this is buck benny speaking welcome to another episode of the 1947 1948 season of the jack benny show we're in the middle of our oscar arc of um, the jack benny show Last week, of course, he was with Ronald Coleman and got Ronald Coleman's Oscar stolen. This week, we're going to have Bing Crosby as our guest, which will be a lot of fun. And uh, before we get to that, though, uh, to tell us about the um, Your Money or Your Life gag, we have Milt Josephsberg, who is one of the writers of it, and John Tackabury, he will be talking about that. Two of them wrote the joke. And it's great to have Milt explain it to us. And so after he, we have Milt's explanation, we'll get right into tonight's episode. I hope you enjoy some more um, humorous issues with the Oscar situation that Jack has created. And uh, I hope you have some fun with Bing Crosby, too, because it'll be a lot of fun tonight. Anyway, without further ado, here's Milt, and then we'll get right into the episode. In March of 1948, uh, we were doing a thing where Jack, uh, borrowed Ronald Coleman's Oscar and to show it to R Rochester. And the idea of this, we had a running thing for like six weeks where Jack would be robbed of the Oscar and then to give Ronald Coleman, his Oscar, he would borrow Bing Crosby's Oscar. <laughs> then he would be short an Oscar and would borrow Paul Lucas, who won an Oscar for uh, 
Oscar. I don't know. Watch on the Rhine. Watch uh-huh. one of those. Like but he would always be one Oscar behind, and this way <laughs> we would always have the guest star, a full guest star, and then the following week when Jack returned the Oscar, he would have that person on that other, for a couple of seconds, a vignette cameo appearance. I don't remember what happened with that, and nobody remembers what happened. But John Tackerberry and I had to write the thing where he came home and was robbed of the Oscar. And uh, incidentally, this joke became, in Jack's obituary in Time magazine, they ran, your money or your life, long pause, burglar, your money or your life, Jack Benny, I'm thinking it over. It... uh, Jean Kerr wrote an article. She's the authoress, playwright, uh, I think for the Saturday Evening Post, in which she said that only three great jokes can she remember from uh, radio, and this was one of them. And it probably it has been called the most famous joke in the history of broadcast, and it came about accidentally. Because Tackerberry and I had to write this, and now we had the thing with the burglar, the crook, who was played by a man named Eddie Moore, and he was supposed to hold Jack up. And now we're writing, and writers are very different people. I would be a pacer at times. John Tackerberry used to relax and half doze off on the couch, <laughs> you know what I mean, until we had something that he'd snap to. And I said, we can't just say, okay, stick him up. I said, we got to get something real exciting. And suddenly I said, hey, I've got a line that I know is going to be funny. It's the most obvious line. It's a cliche line. It's a classic line of all time. We just have the crook say, your money or your life, and have Jack stare at the audience. And <laughs> we know there's going to be a laugh. He says, yeah. I said, but we cannot give it. It must have the greatest answer in the world. And Tackerberry is relaxing. He says, yeah, yeah. And now I'm pacing. I'm throwing a lot of lines. And I keep saying, your money or your life, and I'll throw the punchline. Your money or your life. And I had one of them that wasn't bad. Your money or your life. And Jack says, you mean I have a choice? Which, <laughs> But I said, it's got to be better than that. And now I begin to get mad at Tackerberry, who I think is half asleep. And I said, come on, Tack, your money or your life, your money or your life. Come on, will you? There must be something in that. Your money or your life. And very angrily, he says, I'm thinking it over. <laughs> and I fell down, and he jumped up, and we said, that's it. <laughs> and that is how the joke came into being. Uh-huh. It was accidental. Were there many occasions like that, that you just stumbled on, on, oh, the, yes. on the thing? Oh, yes. Uh, I, uh, uh, oh, incidentally, let me say something about that joke. That joke had a 15-year build-up to it. That joke, from the first day Jack started on radio, when I was a kid in high school, I believe, they were building up this character, this cheap character. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to build the joke properly. But then the writers who went before, and Jack always had great writers, had a man named Harry Kahn at first, and he had Bill Morrow and Ed Boulogne, and they were great. But they kept hopping on this character, and we were with him for five years before the joke came up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know the joke really had <laughs> the greatest buildup.
the Jack Benny program, presented by Lucky Strike. American. Lucky Strike and Lucky Strike alone offers you important evidence gathered in the tobacco country by the world-famous Crosley Pole. This evidence reveals the smoking preference of auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen, the men who really know tobacco. Here's what the Crosley Pole found. For their own personal smoking enjoyment, independent tobacco experts, again, name Lucky Strike first choice. Lucky Strike, first choice over any other brand. These experts know their business. Their overwhelming preference for Lucky Strike, we believe, has a direct relationship to the quality tobacco we purchase for Lucky's and to the real, deep-down smoking enjoyment you may expect from fine tobacco. And when these veteran tobacco experts name Lucky Strike first choice for their own personal smoking enjoyment, then you know. L-S-M-F-T, L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. And in a cigarette, it's the tobacco that counts. So smoke the smoke tobacco experts smoke Lucky Strike. Remember, independent tobacco experts again name Lucky Strike first choice. Lucky Strike first choice over any other brand. The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, as most of you know, last week Jack Benny visited the Ronald Coleman's and he persuaded Ronnie to lend him his Academy Award Oscar. As Jack left the Coleman house, the following incident happened. Gee, it was awfully nice of Ronnie to let me take his Oscar home so I could show it to Rochester. Hmm, sure is dark tonight. No moon. Oh, well. Yeah, da dee da dum da dee da dum da dum dum dee da da dum Hey, bud. Bud. Huh? You got a match? Yes. Yes, I have one right here. Don't make a move. This is a stick-up. Mister, put down that gun. Shut up. I said this is a stick-up. Now, come on. Your money or your life. (laughs) Look, bud. I said your money or your life. I'm thinking it over. (laughs) Now, look, mister. Come on. Give me your wallet or I'll let you have it. All right, mister. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. Here's my wallet. Good. And I'll take that package you're carrying, too. This, pa- this package? But it isn't mine. It belongs to Ronald Coleman. He wanted it. Pipe down and give it to me or I'll drill you. All right. All right. Don't drill me. Here it is. Now, lay down on the sidewalk and count to a hundred. Yes. Yes, sir. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's what happened Sunday night. As we look in on Jack now, it's the following morning. Mary, I've thought of a million different things. I don't know what to do. Oh, Jack, stop pacing the floor and sit down. You're making a nervous wreck of yourself. He was like that all night, Miss Livingston. Never slept away. So what am I going to do? How can I ever explain this to Ronnie? Jack, you've got to control yourself or you'll have a breakdown. Now, why don't you have some breakfast? No, Mary, I couldn't eat a thing. I don't care if I never eat again. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been this upset since Peter Barron got married. <laughs> I'm at my wit's end. I can't tell Ronnie his Oscar was stolen and never speak to me again. I can't tell the police about the holdup because then it'll get in the papers. I don't know. What in the world can I do? Why don't you kill yourself? Say, that's not a... Oh, stop. I'm not in the mood for jokes. 
There must be some way I can get that Oscar back. Well, why don't you put an ad in the Beverly Hills paper and offer a reward? No, Mary, a reward would just be a waste of time. Who'd return it for what I'd offer? <laughs> Mr. Benny, if it'll get you out of this mess, why don't you make the reward substantial? Give her a thousand dollars. Well, we're back to killing yourself. <laughs> yeah, there must be some other way out. It seems impossible that I should be held up right in front of my own house. You know, you still haven't told me what happened. I don't know any of the details yet. You... you don't? Well, Mary, this is exactly what happened. As I was leaving Ronnie's house, he loaned me his Oscar so I could show it to Rochester. I was walking home carrying the Oscar under my arm when a sinister-looking man stepped out. Hey, Bud. Bud. Huh? You got a match? Yes, I have one right here. Don't make a move. This is a stick-up. A stick-up? Put down that gun or I'll thrash you to within an inch of your life. <laughs> Put it down, I say. No, no. No, no, just a second, mister. Don't you come any closer. So you think you can scare me with a gun? Well, I'll break your arm. Look, mister, I didn't want to do this, but I had to. I had to get money for my wife and children. Well, you didn't have to pull a gun on me. If you wanted money, all you had to do was ask. I'm going to take that gun away from you And you'll see I'll, that I'm warning you Don't you come any closer All right, you ask for it Take that Oh, yeah? Well, you take that And that Uh, Jack What were you doing to the crook When you said take that and that? He was handing his wallet and the Oscar <laughs> I was not Mary, while I was beating him up I dropped the Oscar He picked it up And ran off down the street Honestly, I was never so... Oh, who can that be? I don't want to see anyone today. Oh, calm down, Jack. I'll go to the door. Gee, I feel so sorry for poor Jack. He's trying so hard to be brave. But I know he's been crying. Mascara is running. <laughs> I hope he can get out of this mess. Oh, hello, Don. Hello, Mary. Where's Jack? I've got something very important to tell him. Oh, Don, this isn't a good time to talk to him. He's very upset. Suppose you tell me what it is. Well, it's about the quartet. They won't be able to appear on the program Sunday. Why not? Well, now, Mary, you may not believe this, but all the members of the quartet became fathers this morning. John, John, you mean that each one of the four singers had a baby? All except the baritone, he had twins. No. Yes, but, sweetheart, they had five of the cutest babies you ever saw. And, Mary, you'll never guess what they've named them. What? L.S., M.F., and Barbara. Barbara? It was a girl. Well, that's logical. Look, Don, I'll go in and tell Jack all about it. Okay, Mary, thanks a lot. Goodbye. Bye. Imagine all the singers in the quartet having babies the same day. That's what you call close harmony. <laughs> oh, brother, bag my eyes and call me Fred Allen. <laughs> what took you so long, Mary? Who was it? Oh, it was Don. He said the quartet won't be on the broadcast Sunday. Oh, fine. Everything happens to me. Well, they couldn't help it, Jack. Their wives all had babies the same day. And you'll never guess what the baritone's wife had. Unless it's an Oscar, I'm not interested. <laughs> she had twins. But, Jack, what are you going to do about a quartet for the broadcast? I don't know. It's a fine time for them to have children. Why couldn't they have transcribed them for release at a more convenient time? <laughs> anyway, I've got enough to worry about without the quartet. Say, boss, I've got a great idea. What? 
Some friends of mine are making a personal appearance here in town, and maybe they'd come over and help you out. Who are they, Rochester? The Ink Spots. The Ink Spots? Oh, they would be wonderful. Do you think they do it, Rochester? Sure, I'll call them and have them here in a few minutes. Good, use the phone in the hall, will you? Yes, sir. I better call them right away so they can... Mm, Better answer the door first. Hello, Chester. Is the master of the metropolis at home? Yes. (laughs) Come on in, Mr. Harris. You'll find him in the library. But he's feeling mighty low. Well, that's a good thing I came over. I'll cheer him up. I'll go in there and throw some of that Harris sunshine on him and bring back the bloom to those withered old cheeks. (laughs) See you later, Rock. Oh, hiya, Livy. You dreamed out. Hello, Phil. Hiya, Jackson. Hello, hello. Hey, Jackson, did you hear the one about the two sparrows who were arguing on the pump and one of them kept flying off the handle? Ha, 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 Looks like the smog is moving in on that Harris sunshine. Look, Phil, I'm in no mood for jokes. Well, that's right, Phil. But Jack's feeling pretty bad. On the way home last night, he was held up. Well, that's not to be ashamed of. I've been held up many times on my way home. <laughs> Bill, I was robbed. <laughs> now, what did you come over here for? Yeah, look, Jackson, I'm figuring on buying a small ranch, and I got most of the dough, but I need a little more to swing the deal, and I was kind of wondering if you'd lend me uh, $10,000. Mary, tell him I'm not at home, will you? <laughs> Oh, wait a minute, Jackson. I don't like asking you, but I went to the bank and they turned me down. Now, if you turn me down, too, well, well, I'll, well, I'll just have to go to Alice. (laughs) Well, Phil, I'd like to help you. Now, wait a minute, Jackson. I ain't asking you to give me nothing. We'll make it a regular business deal like when you loaned me money before. I'll sign papers for the loan, pay you interest and everything. Well, are you, are you willing to put up security? Yeah, but not like last time. We missed the kids. Phil. I'll have my business manager draw up the papers. Excuse me for interrupting, boss, but Mr. Ronald Coleman called. Oh, no. Oh, yes. <laughs> he said he's having guests for dinner and wants you to return his Oscar immediately. Phil, you better go get the money from Alice. <laughs> now, Ronnie wants his Oscar back. This is the last straw. Mary, you know what I'm going to do? Oh, not now, Jack. A gun is so noisy and I've got a splitting headache. <laughs> I don't mean that. I'm going to check a list of all the people who ever won Oscars and maybe borrow one of them so I can give it to Ronnie till I get his back. Hey, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Let's see now. Last year, the Oscars were won by Frederick Marks and Livy de Havilland. Well, that won't help. Freddie's out of town, and Olivia hasn't talked to me since I put too much starch in her doilies. <laughs> <laughs> who else is there? Well, Ray Milan won an Oscar. Ah, what a picture. <laughs> Yeah. And so did Joan Crawford and Loretta Young and Bing Crosby and, uh... Hey, that's it, Mary. He's the one, Bing Crosby. I did him a big favor. I was on a show a couple of weeks ago, and it isn't easy to be on his show. The needle scratches. (laughs) I'm going over to see Bing right away and ask him to lend me his Oscar. Okay, Jack, I'll drive you there. I have my car right outside. Good, good. Now, who can that be? I'll get it, boss. Well, hello, gentlemen. Come right in. Hey, boss, boss. Yeah? It's the ink spot. The ink spot. 
Well, hello, fellas. Hello, hello Mr. Benny. Benny. Mighty glad to meet you. <laughs> uh, thank you. Now, gentlemen, as I told you over the phone, Mr. Benny's quartet can't be on the program next week, and he'd like to have you do a number for him on Sunday show. Who's that very happy to? Yes, very happy. Good, good. Well, fellas, I was just leaving, so could I hear the number right now? Do you happen to know if I didn't care? Do you know Lovin' Blue? Oh, 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 yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, well, go ahead, boys. Uh, let's have it. If I didn't care, would it be the same? Would my every prayer begin and end with just your name? And would I be sure that his Lord Beyond compare, would all this be true if I didn't care for you? If I didn't care, if I didn't care what I smoked, baby. I'd smoke any kind of a cigarette. But I do care, honey child. That's why I smoke Lucky Strikes. I smoke Lucky Strikes because according to that Crosley poll, they're first choice, baby. You want to know something else, honey child? They're so round, so firm, so full of fat. So free and easy on the draw. That's right, baby. L-F-M-S-T. <laughs> what a cigarette. L-F-M-S-T. The very best that you can get. Then this must be true. Luckies are the smooth for you. Quality of product is essential to success. Fellas, fellas, I was. Absolutely wonderful. I can't wait till you do it on the show. Thank, Thank you, Mr. Mr. Benny. Benny. Yes, thanks very much. <laughs> uh, Rochester, uh, Rochester, come here a minute. Yes. Uh, how, uh, how much are they going to charge me to be on my show? Why, boss, they said as a favor to me they'd go on your show for nothing. For nothing? Why, I wouldn't think of it. I mean, that's ridiculous. Go in the kitchen and fix them some sandwiches. <laughs> When it comes to guest stars, Brad is no object. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on, Mary, drive me over to Crosby's. 
Anyway, there's Bing Crosby's house over there on the left. Just pull into the driveway here. I can't, Jack. There's a sign that says, keep driveway clear, truck's loading. Hmm. Must be sending his money to the bank. (laughs) Well, toot the horn. We'll see if he's home. Oh, there's Bing in the upstairs window. Hey, who's that honking in C-sharp? Pleasant surprise. Come up to the front door. I'll let you in. Come on, Jack. Now, remember, you just can't come right out and ask him to lend you his Oscar. Be a little subtle about it. I know, I know. Watch these steps, Mary. Hello, Mary. Come right in. Oh, Jack's with you. (laughs) And I ran all the way. (laughs) What? Come in. Come on. Come on in. Hope you folks will forgive the way I'm dressed. I wasn't expecting anybody, or I'd have sort of dressed up. <laughs> that shirt you've got on looks like Finian's rainbow. Especially with that pot on the end of it. <laughs> well, well, well. It's rumored you're pretty funny on the air, too. <clears throat> However, let's not discuss one's alleged talent in the entrance hall. First time you've been to this house, isn't it? You have any trouble finding it? No, no, no. I just followed my nose. Hope tried that once, wound up on Mount Wilson. <laughs> to shoot him down. Well, well, it's rumored you're pretty funny on the air, too. Yeah, you're pretty fast with the old ad lib there, kid. All you have to do is hear it once, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yeah. You know, Bing, we were just driving by and thought we'd drop in for a social visit. Uh, Get to the point, but be subtle. Leave it to me. Uh, Bing, uh, how about showing us the house? You know, take us into the den. Or do you keep your Oscar in another room? Oscar? Oh, I got that in the trophy room. Oh, good, good. However, if you insist on seeing the den, I'd love to show it to you. No, 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 Bing. Come right right through this door. Gee, what a beautiful den. Well, we've been here long enough. Now, let's go into the, uh, (laughs) let's go to the trophy room. Jack, look at that picture on the mantelpiece. Thing, are those your children? Yeah, those are the four boys. The two in the end are twins. Twins? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a coincidence. <laughs> you know, this morning my baritone's wife had an Oscar. Jack! I mean... <laughs> Bing, it must be wonderful having four children. By the way, where's Dixie? Oh, she had to go to the hospital. What? To visit her cousin. <laughs> Bing, uh, Hmm? are you sure it isn't the stork? Positive. I got him in my trophy room. (laughs) Well, let's go see him. You know, I've never seen a stuffed Oscar. I mean, stork. Okay, just follow me here. Oh, just excuse me a minute. Hmm. Well, hello. Well, hello. Fancy hearing from you. Sure, I want you on my show. I've been expecting you for a long time. How long will it take you to get here? Two days. Well, good. I'll meet you at the train. Bye. Who was that? Rudolf Schmohopper. <laughs> Gonna take him a couple days to get here. Now, where does he live? The do what did he? More people come from there. I mean, 
<laughs> now, Bing, uh, how about going to the trophy room? Oh, yes, the trophy room. Right down this hall. Here, Mary, I'll lift you over. No, I'll just uh, walk around him. Hmm. Fine place for a horse to sleep. <laughs> I can't understand why. <laughs> Bing, I was stepping over him and he got up. <laughs> Me off. Oh, don't worry, Jackson. He can't stand up long. <laughs> what? Yeah, I guess you're right. Poor old thing. Yeah, the veterinarian said he was going to die yesterday, but none of my horses finish on time. <laughs> well, here we are, kids. Here's the trophy room. Jack, look at all the heads mounted on the wall. Gosh, Bing, you sure must have done a lot of hunting. Yeah. What's that big head over there? Yours. You're looking in the mirror. <laughs> no, no, I mean the one with the brown eyes. You know, that, that big head over there. That's a moose. Well, what's a small one? A mouse. <laughs> no. Yes, sir. Shot the mouse in Wyoming and caught the moose under the icebox. <laughs> you ought to try, try hunting, Jack. <laughs> Very gay. expect that one to get any size <laughs> the whole joint, isn't it? <laughs> big, big game hunting's very exciting, Jackson. You ought to try it, especially the big game. Bing, the hmm. only big game that Jack's interested in is a buffalo, and it has to be on a nickel. <laughs> Mary. He traps him with one finger in a telephone slot. Well, it ain't easy, sister. Well, Bing, this is really a beautiful room. I never saw some... Wait a minute. Say, Bing, why have you got that picture of Frank Sinatra on the wall? Kids throw darts at it. <laughs> oh, I thought he had chicken pox there. <laughs> now, Bing, let's see the trophies. Will there you? they are, right over there in the cabinet. Oh, boy, look at all those cups. Uh, what'd you get them for, Bing? Well, I grabbed this uh, cup here for winning a golf tournament at Lakeside. I got this one for winning the Santa Anita Handicap. Santa Anita Handicap? Mm -hmm. uh, what horse? No horse, ran myself. Stayed six times. <laughs> Photo finish. Just got up the last jump. Oh. Say, <laughs> Bing. What? What's that little tiny cup on the end? That's not a cup, that's a thimble. There's four kids. It's got to do a lot of sewing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see this one here, Jack? I got this when I got married. When you got married? Yeah, it's a Dixie cup. <laughs> Why do I take jokes from Phil Harris? <laughs> Brother. Well, look, Bing, the trophy that I'm most interested in is the Oscar you won for going my way. Yes, we'd love to see that one, Bing. Oh, the Oscar. Why didn't you say so? I'll get it for you. Lenny, you in there? Yeah, Pop. What do you want? You'll have to give me my Oscar. I can't. No, I'm taking a bath. Oh, for heaven's sake. Why don't you use something else for a stopper? <laughs> Bing, you let your son use the Oscar for a stopper in the bathtub? Yeah, That's it's terrible. always wet, too, when I want to crack nuts with it. It's murder. <laughs> well, I'm really anxious to see the Oscar, Bing, but we can wait till your boy gets through with his bath. Yeah, he'll be through in a minute. Say, Bing, hmm? while we're waiting, how about singing a song for us? Oh, Mary, Bing doesn't want to sing. I do, too. <laughs> What'd you like to hear, Mary? <laughs> anything, Bing, anything. <laughs> Well, I'll try out a new tune on you called Haunted Heart. It's a clever number. I hope you like it. What's your temple, Mr. Harris? 
Gracie Temple, Ballad C. In the night, so we're apart. There's a ghost of you within my haunted heart. Ghost of you, my lost romance. Lips with laugh, eyes that dance. Haunted heart won't let me be. Repeat a sweet but lonely song to me. Dreams are dust, it's you who must belong to me. And thrill my heart and heart. Be still, song was beautiful. Thanks, Mary. It's pretty good for a chorus. Dennis Day gets a chorus and a half. I get a chorus. <laughs> but if you want, I'll sing a couple of more. Hey, Pop, why don't you give up? <laughs> the other three put you up to that, huh? Say, Bing, what? look. Your son brought out the Oscar and put it on the table. Yeah. Gee, doesn't that Oscar look wonderful? Now, Bing, I might as well get right to the point. I'm in an awful spot. I've just got to borrow your Oscar for a little while. Well, look, Bub, if you need an Oscar, instead of going around trying to borrow one, go make a picture. Win one. <laughs> hey, I never thought of that. <laughs> but, Bing, it's too late for that. I need it now. You can't make a picture in one day. They took longer on the horn blows at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was sick a couple of days. It took almost a week to make it. <laughs> but, Bing, look, I just want it for a few days. I'll give it right back to you. Well, what's the deal, Jack? Why do you need an Oscar all of a sudden? Well... Jack, why don't you tell him the truth? Tell him what happened. All right, I will. You see, Bing, I was over at Ronald Coleman's house, and he let me borrow his Oscar to take to my house to show Rochester. I was walking home carrying the Oscar when suddenly a sinister-looking man stepped out of my head. Hey, Bud. Bud. Huh? You got a match? Yeah, I got one right here. Don't make a move. This is a stick-up. What? You heard him. This is a stick-up. Oh, two of you, huh? <laughs> well, do you think you're scaring me with those guns? I'll make you eat them and spit out the bullets. Hey, Pete, this guy's pretty tough. We better call the rest of the gang. Yeah. <whistles> All right, mate, come on. We need help. <laughs> oh, there are ten of you, eh? Well, it looks like I'll have to take off my coat. Now, look, mister, we don't want no trouble with you. We've got guns and hand grenades. So what? You can't scare me. I'll take on your whole outfit. And Bing, when the whole thing was over, I knocked out all their men but one. Independent tobacco experts again named Lucky Strike first choice. 
Lucky Strike's first choice over any other brand. The famous Crosley poll has just completed an impartial survey in 11 southern tobacco states. This poll, taken among tobacco experts, reveals the smoking preference of the men who really know tobacco. Yes, for their own personal smoking enjoyment, independent tobacco experts again name Lucky Strike first choice. Lucky Strike first choice over any other brand. These are the experts, auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen. And we believe their overwhelming preference for Lucky Strike has a direct relationship to the quality tobacco we purchase for Lucky. You've heard the poll results. Now listen to what Mr. Floyd Clay, veteran warehouse owner from Kentucky, recently said. Up through the years, I've seen American buy tobacco that's ripe and mild. Tobacco with real flavor and melanin. I've smoked Lucky 17 years. So for your own real deep-down smoking enjoyment, remember... L-S-M-F-T. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. The Fitch Bandwagon with Alice Faye and Phil Harris. soft, shining as though it had been brushed, and brushed, and brushed. That's the way your hair will be when you use Fitch's new cream shampoo, for Fitch thoroughly cleanses the heaviest or finest hair, leaves it smooth and glistening with romantic highlights. Fitch Cream Shampoo is made with two beneficial beauty aids, purified lanolin and the finest olive oil. Lanolin is used to soften the hair. Olive oil is used to bring out sparkling highlights. A small dab of Fitch Cream Shampoo whips into hands full of double-rich lather. Then, to rinse, a swish of plain water and every bubble of suds is gone. Fitch Cream Shampoo is economical, too. Compare the size of the jar. Compare its low cost at drug or toilet goods counters, buy Fitch Cream Shampoo for softer, shinier hair. The F.W. Fitch Company, makers of Fitch Shampoo, presents the Fitch Bandwagon with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Janine Roos, Ann Whitfield, Robert North, Walter Scharf and his music, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. Today, as we look in on the Harris home, Phil has just read an interview that Frankie Remley has given to the morning paper. It has upset him considerably. Alice and the children are listening as he gives vent to his feelings. Alice, just look at what Frankie had the nerve to say in this interview. This is murder. 
He takes credit for the whole program. <laughs> Just wait till I get my hands on that low-down, double-crossing, southpaw guitar player. <laughs> I'll break every bone in his miserable body. Are you unhappy, Father? <laughs> What's wrong, Daddy? Plenty. <laughs> Just listen to what Frankie said when they asked him about his part on our program. Quote. <laughs> Being the star of the Fitch bandwagon, I am continually hampered by the inferior talents of my supporting cast. <laughs> it wouldn't do for me to mention names, but one of my stooges is a curly-headed band leader who's always singing about the South. In my humble opinion, he should remain a musician and not try to be a comedian. A musician? Could he be referring to you, Phil? <laughs> He ain't talking about Rachmaninoff. Phil, I don't see anything to get excited about. Frankie's always saying things like that, but nobody pays any attention to him. You're acting so silly. No, I'm acting silly. I'm acting silly. Well, read what else he says. Go on, read this. Read this one. All right, all right. Let me see it. Another one of my stooges is a rather attractive blonde singer who would do well to spend more time in the kitchen and leave the airwaves to people who don't have domestic responsibilities. <laughs> well, of all the nerve. A rather attractive blonde singer, huh? Could he be referring to you, dear? He ain't talking about Nelson Eddy. <laughs> and listen to what else he says. Oh, this is worst of all, Phil. I also have to put up with two youngsters who would be better off at home studying their ABCs instead of radio scripts. Two youngsters? Phyllis, could he mean us? He ain't talking about Lum and Abner. <laughs> I can't understand it. Frankie gets an interview, he gets his picture in the paper, Luella Parsons mentions him. I'm supposed to be the star of the show and he gets all of the publicity. How does he do it? Oh, it's obvious, Phil. He must have hired a publicity agent. Yeah, He's well paying then... someone to get his name in the paper. All right, all right. He's paying someone to get him in the paper. I got to do the same thing to protect myself for people to think he's more important than I am. I'm going to hire myself a press agent. Oh, you don't need one, Phil. William handles your business affairs and he can get your name in the papers. Willie? That brother of yours couldn't get my name in the paper if I was Margaret Truman singing at the Republican convention. <laughs> Willie. Look, Alice, I know it hurts you when I say anything about your brother, but the guy don't know nothing about show business. He's a square. You can tell him by the way he talks. Every time he comes in, he gives with that, Good morning, Philip. And it's starting to drive me nuts. Where is everybody? Oh, there he is now. Will you get the greeting? Uh, there you are. Hello, Willie. Hiya, Phil. You see, Alice, he did this. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hiya, Philzy. What's that? It means good morning. <laughs> so I had to ask him. Look, Willie, you're supposed to be handling my publicity, but Frankie's getting all the notices, and I ain't. Why ain't I? <laughs> I'll tell you why. As your public relations counsel, I deem it advisable to avoid any indiscriminate notices that might prove detrimental to your professional status. <laughs> yeah, well, I never looked at it in that light before. <laughs> well, I can see your point, Willie. That's a very interesting prognostication. And at this point, I would like to inquire as to the feasibility of your vocal tirade. <laughs> <laughs> 
In short, what are you beating your gums about, Clyde? <laughs> Philip, what I'm trying to say is I don't believe in cheap publicity. Now, I've gotten your name in quite a few periodicals. Yes, yes, that's right. You have the bookkeeper's annual report and the seed grower's journal. <laughs> oh, William, why don't you get Phil something in the theatrical trade papers like Billboard or Hollywood Reporter or Downbeat? I did, Alice. Only six months ago, I got Philip a very nice mention in the radio editor's report. Nice mention. Stalin would get a better review in the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> I suppose you could do better I certainly could <laughs> If I was handling your publicity You'd see your name in the paper Oh, Bosh I'll wager you couldn't get my name In the obituary column I could if you'd cooperate <laughs> Now let me tell you something, Willie It's important that I get a lot of publicity And I'm going to get someone else to do it Very well, Philip That's what you want Go ahead, but be careful Bad publicity can hurt one. <laughs> Remember what happened to poor Alice when she announced she was going to marry you. <laughs> Goodbye, Philip. Goodbye. <laughs> what does he mean, poor Alice? Nothing happened to you. He's got a lot of nerve saying a thing like that about you. Yeah, he sure has. One more crack like that, and I'll hit him over the head with my annuities. <laughs> Please, Alice, don't be gruesome. <laughs> You'd stomp him right into the ground with anything that heavy. No, honestly, Phil, I agree with you. I think you ought to hire a professional press agent to counteract Frankie's publicity. Certainly I should. Oh, I can't understand how Frankie could do anything like this to me. He's pal. I wonder if that could be your pal. Don't be funny. It couldn't be Frankie. He wouldn't dare come around after this. That double-crosser, he's probably hiding out someplace. Hiya, curly old pal, old chum. <laughs> oh, it's you, huh? How can you have the nerve to show up here after what you did to me, you, you Benedictine Arnold, you? <laughs> you seem a little perturbed, Curly. What's eating on you, buddy of mine? You know what's eating on me. Who is it, Phil? Oh, it's you, Frankie. What are you doing here, you, you Benedict Arnold? That's Benedictine, Alan. <laughs> Thanks. Frankie, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. What you did is dishonest. Please, Alice. I resent that. I'm the soul of honesty. You're not being fair. Least you can do is tell me what you're accusing me of so I'd have the chance to lie out of it. <laughs> We're talking about that article concerning you in the paper today Oh, that Well, such is the penalty of fame <laughs> Press has always hounded me for interviews You know, Curly, sometimes I wish I was a no-talent guy <laughs> Like you Oh, so I'm a no-talent guy I'm a no-talent guy Phil, Phil, stop agreeing with him <laughs> I don't know what you saw at me for it ain't my fault if the press of the nation feels that I'm of such great news value that they keep building me up. Oh, stop it, Frankie. You hired a press agent and you know it. Press agent? What's that? <laughs> You're being paid by somebody to get your name in a paper. You're paying off, that's what. You mean there are people who do things like that? <laughs> How degrading. How can anyone be that low? Suppose you tell us, Shorty. <laughs> 
Not only did you infer that I'm not a comedian, you didn't even have the courtesy to mention my name. You're right, Curly. I'm ashamed of myself. But I'll make it up to you. The next time my press agent prints anything about somebody not being a comedian, I'll see that he mentions your name. <laughs> oh, so you admit you've got a press agent, huh? Well, look, Remley, I'm getting one, too. Alice, what's the name of that guy you used to handle your publicity? Oh, that was Jack Mulcahy, and he's very good, Phil. He can make you famous overnight. Good. I'll go down to see the guy right now. Oh, by the way, Remley, huh? when Mulcahy gets through publicizing me, people won't even know that you're alive. He'll tell everybody. He'll make everybody know who's the star of the Fitz show. Goodbye, Mr. Remley. <laughs> Unemployed guitar player. <laughs> Uh, wait a minute, Curly. I'll go with you. I can't let this happen to a nice guy like me. If Curly gets more publicity than me, it might undo all the undoing I've done. Uh, look, Curly, you don't need a publicity Save your breath, agent. Ramley. Save your breath. If you want to come along with me, all right, but don't try to talk me into nothing. No. Oh, no. I never thought you'd do anything like this to me, Ramley. You hurt me. You plunged a knife into me and not a word of apology. You haven't even said you're sorry. If I kiss you, will you forgive me? <laughs> Come on, let's go over and see Mulcahy. So long, Alice. I'll see you later. Bye, Phil. Come home early. Remember, we're going out tonight. <laughs> Phil doesn't know it yet, but he's going to take me dancing. It'll be the first time in years. Why does a wife always have to beg her husband to take her dancing? It's always the same plea. Papa, won't you dance with me? Oh, dance with me, please dance with me. Papa, take a chance with me and dance with me tonight. And when you whirl me round and round, we'll go right off the ground. We'll go around and round. Yes, we'll go. And when we hear the trombone slide. We'll both be gliding high up to the sky. I love the polka pot. Betty, oh, won't you dance with me? Oh, won't you dance with me? They say you dance with me. And Papa, when you hold me, hold me tight. Oh, Papa, won't you dance with me? It's not that he don't like to dance a bit That's just the heck of it He loves the way they play the polka Papa, Papa, won't you dance with me? Please dance with me Oh, won't you dance with me? And Daddy, when you hold me, hold me tight Papa, ain't the music grand? Could it be Phil Harris's band? You dance with me tonight. Now, let me see. Mulcahy's office is right here near NBC someplace. You just wait till I get this publicity agent, Frankie. He'll let the people know just who's who on this show. I think you're taking this whole thing too seriously, Curly. Yeah. Oh, that little publicity I got don't mean anything. I bet nobody even saw it. Hello, Mr. Remley. Nice picture of you in the paper. Thanks. 
I don't mean anything to the public, Curly. I'm just a guitar player. Nobody even heard of me. Hello, Mr. Remley. I thought your program last Sunday was wonderful. <laughs> Everybody knows that you're the big man, Curly. You got a famous name. Yeah, but who changed it to Remley? <laughs> Everybody's saying hello to you. They're just friends of mine. But the radio public knows you. Look at those autograph fans over there. They're waiting for you, Curly. <laughs> Where did you hear him as we go by? Say, George, here comes a famous radio star. Yeah, who, who is it? Who is it? Well, that's Frank Renley, the star of the Fitch Bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I just read all about him in the papers today. Hey, tell me something, Jenny. Who's that schnook with him? <laughs> I don't know. He's always with him. He must be the one that carries Mr. Remley's guitar. <laughs> That's the last straw. There's nothing lower than a guitar carrier. <laughs> Unless it's a uke man. <laughs> Seems nobody knows me. I better get the Mulcahy working fast before everybody forgets me, including my children. What uh, you Curly. done to me? Listen, Curly, maybe you ought to get my publicity man. I don't think this Mulcahy is the guy for you. What are you talking about? He's great. Alice says he'll make me famous overnight. Takes them that long? <laughs> Let's go see my boy. No, thanks. I want a guy who'll get me some quiet, dignified publicity. Well, that's my boy. That's the kind of publicity he'll get you because he's quiet and dignified himself. He's the most unassuming and reserved guy you ever met. Yeah? What's his name? Blabbermouth Grapperhouse. <laughs> this guy's great, Curly. Look at the publicity he got for me, and I'm a nobody. Think what he can do for a big man like you with your looks, personality, ability. Yeah, it should be a cinch. <laughs> with my wealth of natural resources. Uh, sure. Yeah. Hey, where is this guy of yours? Come on, I'll take you over there. <laughs> Well, Blabbermouth, I'm back again. Hello, Remley. Uh, you want some more publicity, huh? Well, I got a great idea for you in this afternoon's papers. I can see the headlines right now. Frank Remley starts fourth party. <laughs> How did that appeal to you? I don't know. I'd probably be elected and I wouldn't have time for my music. <laughs> I'd have to give up my guitar. I don't know why. Harry didn't give up the piano. Yeah? I guess I can handle both. I accept the nomination. I do not covet any public office, but if the people of this great nation call upon me to lead them through this moment of national crisis, I feel that I... Thank you, General MacArthur. <laughs> Look, Blab... We're here because I want publicity. Now, can you make my name famous? <laughs> can I? Why, I guarantee to have your name on the lips of every man, woman, and child in this country within 24 hours. I can take anybody and make them a household word. Now, uh, what is your name? Bill Harris. Oh. <laughs> this is gonna be tough. What do you mean, tough? What's wrong with the name Phil Harris? Doesn't appeal to me. You'll have to change it. You'll have to change it. Your name must have rhythm. 
It must appeal to the women, and above all, it must be unusual. Uh huh. Would it help if I changed it to Helen Twelve Trees? <laughs> I don't like that. How about Mary Miles Minter? <laughs> don't be ridiculous. Those are women's names. Now, personally, I like something like uh, Eric von Stroheim. <laughs> Look, Bob, I ain't changing my name for nobody. All I want you to do is to get me some front-page publicity. Oh, front-page, huh? Well, that's gonna be a little difficult. Unless you've done something sensational. Like what? Have you ever committed uh, a hammer murder you'd like to confess to? <laughs> not lately. You're not cooperating. Ah, uh, wait. Wait a minute, I've got it. I got it, I think. I think I can fix it for you to become the first draftee. <laughs> that I like. That I don't. Like Curly. That's unpatriotic. Any American should be proud and happy to join the army. Then why don't you join? What do we Frenchmen know of the American army? <laughs> Mr. Harris, this is the greatest idea that I've ever had, and you've got to do it for me. You have got to join the army. Wait a minute, Blabby, I can't. I've got a family to think of. I've got two kids and a wife who supports me. <laughs> oh, you're married. Where? Mr. Harris, would you be interested... In poisoning your wife? <laughs> what kind of a harebrained idea are you thinking? Hey, would you settle for a brother-in-law? <laughs> hey, Frankie, this guy's a screwball. I gotta see Mulkey and get dignified publicity. Oh, wait a minute, Curly. If that's what you want, Blabbermouth can get it for you. Why, of course I can. Just tell me what you want, and I'll have it printed just that way. And to make sure there's no mistake, Curly, I'll write down everything you want said. Go ahead. Well, okay. Now, on that basis, I'll do it. Okay. Now, look, fellas, I really don't want this publicity for myself. I want it for the show, and particularly Alice. So now put it down this way. All right. Quote, Alice Faye is happily married to and madly in love with Phil Harris, the star of the show. Now, look, and to prove that I'm a big man, you should also mention Frankie Remley, one of the stooges on the show. <laughs> now, have you got that, Remley? Yeah. Now, wait a minute. Now, you can go on to say... You go on to say that I'm also in love with Alice, who, although she has two children, doesn't look old enough to be a mother. Got it. All right. Now, while you're doing it, you might describe Alice's beauty, too. Tell them she has golden blonde hair, baby blue eyes, and vivid red lips. Now, have you got that straight, Remley? Oh, of course. <laughs> I'm writing down everything you say. With a slight rearrangement Now, wait a minute Look, Remley I guess I should thank Jackson For giving me my start in radio mm -hmm. So you might say Just say that I started with Jack Benny On the Jell-O program And in my opinion He's one of the funniest men in radio And he'll always be Because he's as solid As the Rock of Gibraltar Apple polisher <laughs> Never mind Just write it down I guess that's all, Blab Okay, now let me have the notes, Mr. Remley I'll get these items In every radio column in town Mr. Harris, you just go home and wait till you see this afternoon's papers. 
Alice, I'm home. Oh, hello, Phil. How did you make out with Mulcahy? Oh, well, uh, you see, honey, I didn't go to Mulcahy. I went to Frankie's press agent. Oh, no. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't get worried. Don't get... This time I took my time and I know what I'm doing. I told the guy exactly what I wanted printed and Frankie wrote it down just like I said. Oh, the afternoon papers will be out soon, and wait till you see. Wait till you see what I said about you, honey. You see, the whole, the whole interview was about you. Oh, really, Phil? Tell me, honey, what did you say? Well, come here, baby. Snuggle up a little bit. <laughs> That's it. Get up close, and I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. This is a fine state of affairs when I find the woman I love in the arms of her husband. <laughs> oh, Julius, what are you doing here? I didn't order any groceries. I've come to defend you against the scoundrels, homemate. Do you know what, what was said about you by this, this fiend in almost human form? Now, wait a minute, <laughs> small fry. Don't talk to me. This is no time for words. This is time for action, and I'm going to teach you a lesson. Step outside with me, Mac. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to the market and pyramid your avocados. <laughs> Just behave yourself. What are you so upset about? You'll be upset, too, when you see what Mr. Harris said about you in this afternoon's paper. Oh, you got the papers, huh, kid? What do they say? Listen to this. It says, when asked about his home life, Phil Harris said, I have two children and my wife, Alice Faye, who looks old enough to be my mother. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. That ain't what I said. Let me see the paper, Julia. All I did, Alice, was rave about your beauty. Uh Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So I see. Listen to this. Mr. Harris said he's in love with his wife because of her unusual beauty. She has golden blonde hair, navy blue eyes, and red liver lips. <laughs> Alice, you've got to be reading that wrong. I didn't say anything. No, of... I am, huh? Well, then suppose you tried this paragraph here. Go this... on, right there. Although married to Phil Harris, one of the stooges on the show, Miss Faye is madly in love with the star, Frank Remlin. <laughs> Oh, it's a mistake, Alice. I didn't say any of those things. Now, Frankie's got them all twisted around. Well, that's why I'm mad. You're always listening to Frankie. If you'd gone to my publicity, man, this wouldn't have happened. Oh, I'm going upstairs before I lose my temper completely. But, honey, I never... I never... (laughs) Honey! (laughs) Now, she's mad. She won't have a thing to do with me. Keep quiet, cackle. Everybody's against me. Frankie louses me up again. Alice is sore at me. Now when Mr. Fitch sees this publicity, he'll be sore too. Oh, that Remley. Thank goodness I still have my job with Jackson. I wouldn't bet on that, Buster. (laughs) I don't think Mr. Benny's gonna want you after what you said about him. What did I say about him? Read this. When asked his opinion of Jack Benny, Mr. Harris said... I think Jackson is as solid as a bowl of jello and as funny as the rock of Gibraltar. <laughs> oh, no, help. When Jackson sees this, he'll fire me, Julius. He'll fire me. Yeah, would he? <laughs> oh, shut up. Phil will be back in just a moment. Dandruff is inexcusable. Yes, dandruff is inexcusable. 
because all dandruff can be removed with one application of Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo. Leading medical authorities say there are two kinds of dandruff. One is loose and flaky. It's the unsightly kind other people see. The second type clings to the scalp. It's the invisible, irritating kind you can feel. No other shampoo but Fitch is guaranteed to remove both kinds of dandruff completely. So be free of unsightly dandruff, be free of invisible, irritating dandruff. Yes, be free of all embarrassing dandruff with Fitch. Fitch is the only shampoo made that's guaranteed to remove dandruff with the first application. And the Fitch guarantee is backed by one of the world's largest insurance firms. Remember, dandruff is inexcusable. So to remove your dandruff, switch to Fitch. Use it regularly each week. At drug counters, barber, and beauty shops, ask for Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo. Fitch is spelled F-I-T-C-H. This is Phil Harris again, folks. First of all, I'd like to thank my good friend, Lee Tracy, who was nice enough to come over at the last minute and play the role of the press agent, a role, as all of you remember, that he practically created in pictures. Incidentally, Lee has just finished two pictures, High Tide and I'll Tell the World. Lee, you were great, and thanks a lot for helping us out. Folks, Tuesday, April the 6th, is Army Day. The Army Nurses Reserve Corps is asking for 29,000 civilian nurses to apply for reserve commissions. The Army, traditionally a man's world, is no longer so. And a commission in the Army Nurses Reserve is a woman's step in assuring that a strong America is a peaceful America. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Tune in next week when the F.W. Fitch Company again brings you the Fitch Bandwagon with Alice Fay and Phil Harris. This program was written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet and directed by Paul Phillips. Included in today's cast were June Foray, High Averback, and Eddie Fields. Alice Fay appears to the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. The part of Frankie was played by Elliot Lewis. Half a while and a song be your style, you Fitch. Save your hair, use Fitch. Girls, for softer, shinier hair, use Fitch's new cream shampoo. It's made with purified lanolin and the finest olive oil. Lanolin to soften, olive oil for sparkling highlights. Try Fitch cream shampoo. Bill Foreman speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Thought I would come out tonight and talk a little bit about Jack Benny and his movie parodies that he does throughout uh, his career. Certainly he does more. You'll find more in these uh, 1938 and the 1940 season than you will in the, 19, in the 1950 season that we play on Sunday nights. But even in the, in the 1950 season and, and beyond, he continues to do movie parodies. This particular movie is a yank at Oxford, and a yank at Oxford is probably 
mainly um, known for uh, the fact that it has Vivian Lee in it. And Vivian Lee, it attracted the attention of the scouts that were looking for a female lead to play in Gone with the Wind. And right after this, she went on to Gone with the Wind, which of course immortalized her. Um, Jack doing these these parodies, I, don't, I used to, when I first listened to them, it's Jack Benny when I was commuting to work, when I was first getting into Jack Benny a decade ago, I would uh, tend to skip over these and mostly just listen to the beginning parts of the show with the, uh, uh, the gang all joking around back and forth. And then once it got to the parody, I'd skip ahead to the next episode. And you can do that because there's so many episodes of Jack Benny. But I find going through this time with you folks, I like to listen to the movies. Uh, I think that they're pretty funny. And I think, um, I guess they're, there's more clowning around and things than I had originally thought. And, uh, and I find that I really enjoy them. And I hope you enjoy these parodies as well. Uh, certainly... They are the forerunner of the parodies that we get on uh, Saturday Night Live and a lot of the late night uh, talk shows when they spoof the uh, the movies and uh, probably the forerunner to uh, movies like Airplane um, that spoof a whole genre. And uh, I just think it's fun to listen to them and, and um, just hear the different cast members and the play that they have on words. And they always seem to find something large that uh, Don can play, whether it's a whale, as in Pinocchio, or whether it's uh, whatever else you might have that's, that's anything that's large. If there's a cow in the film, uh, he'll probably play the cow. <laughs> Certainly things you wouldn't do today to an actor, but uh, back then um, it was just part of the, the fun. And it, it was nice that uh, Don never took it very seriously, or didn't seem to anyway. Well, I hope you enjoy this episode of Jack Benny, and you tune in again uh, for Jack Benny on Thursday night, when we'll present Jack Benny from 1940. And then again on Saturday, of course, no Saturday, no Sunday, <laughs> of course, for Jack Benny in 1950. Take care. J-E-L-L-O. The Jell-O program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston and Phil Harris and his orchestra. The orchestra opens a program with Something Tells Me. <laughs> This is that restless time of the year when most of us want something new, something different. Well, if you have that urge to discover new things, all you have to do is step into your own kitchen and open a box of Jell-O. Right away, you'll think of dozens of delicious new things to eat. Jell-O desserts, Jell-O salads, Jell-O relishes. All with a tempting springtime freshness that's a treat for any tongue. For Jell-O brings you that delicious extra-rich fruit flavor, 
deeper, truer, more satisfying, a flavor that rivals the juicy, ripe goodness of fresh fruit itself. And to start you off in your career of new and inspired dishes, you'll find attractive recipes on every package of Jell-O. Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. So if you want to discover a brand new repertoire of swell things to eat, stock up with Jell-O tomorrow. Look for the big red letters on the box. They spell Jell-O. Something Tells Me, played by the orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you a man who has just become Beverly Hills' latest taxpayer and homeowner, Jack Benny. Thank you, fellow resident. Uh, there's Jello again. This is Jack Benny coming to you through a second mortgage. And, Don, I'm tickled to death that you brought up the subject of my new home. I've been dying to talk about it. You know, it's the first real thing I've ever owned. Well, how's the place coming along, Jack? Is it almost finished? Well, it's moving along all right now, but at the beginning, we had an awful lot of trouble. Oh, is that so? Now, what happened? Well, the first month when they were putting up the wooden framework, the termites were way ahead of the carpenters. <laughs> Oh, they were hungry little devils, you know? <laughs> yes, indeed, those termites are vicious. Why, they'll eat the lumber as soon as you put it up. Put it up nothing. These babies used to run down the street and meet the truck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're go-getters, you know. <laughs> by the way, Jack, who's your architect? Oh, a fellow by the name of Carlton Burgess. He's very clever, Don, but a bit stubborn. You see, he feels he knows more about building a house than I do. No. Well, now, that's only natural. That's his job. I know, Don, but this fellow Burgess is so extravagant. Now, I didn't mind when he hung a crystal chandelier in the garage. But when he put a guest room in the doghouse, that was going too far. <laughs> you know, if Fido has friends, let him move over. But I guess you have to expect those things, you know. Say, Jack, are you going to have a swimming pool? What's that, Phil? I say, are you going to have a swimming pool? Oh, sure, it's already built. And that's another thing Burgess went overboard on. I asked for a little place where I could wade. You know, I, you know, I, wish, I wish you could see the size of the swimming pool he built for me. How big is it? How big? Well, there's a lighthouse in it. That's how big it is. <laughs> now, when I go swimming, I'll have to put an outboard motor in my trunks. <laughs> Say, Phil... <laughs> Well, you've got, a, you've got a home of your own, too, haven't you? Oh, sure. I built a beautiful ranch house right off of Ventura Boulevard. Oh. I have 14 rooms and an eight-car garage. Well. I'm mighty proud of it. Well, I don't blame you, Phil. What do you call your place? Auto Camp Number 7. <laughs> oh. Well, of course, uh, mine is going to be a private home, naturally, you know. Hello, Jack. Oh, hello, Mary. Say, I want to thank you for helping me out, you know, doing so much shopping and everything. Did you pick out the wallpaper for my dining room yet? Oh, sure, Jack, and it's beautiful. It is, huh? It's a deep salmon color and has pink billy goats leaping over lavender cactus plants. Is that for my dining room? Yes. I've lost my appetite already. Eh? Uh, what did you get for my bedroom? Uh, well, for that, I got bright gold wallpaper with little red butterflies chasing baby blue gorillas. 
Hmm. And there's an American flag spread all over the ceiling. That's fine. I'll have to sleep standing up. <laughs> See, what the... What else did you get? Uh, now, for the doghouse... Mary, I don't want wallpaper in the doghouse. Fido doesn't need such ritzy surroundings. Well, he entertains more than you do. <laughs> well, well, he's a good mixer. Anyway... <laughs> I like that. He's a good mixer. Anyway, thanks just the same, Mary. Really. Say, Jack, you know, I'd like to drive out and see your place sometime. Is it a nice neighborhood? No, that's a silly question. <laughs> Why, sure, I'm... Bernie, I'm in a swell neighborhood, ain't I, Mary? I'll say. Listen, Don, you know Ginger Rogers, the movie star, don't you? Oh, yes, Mary. Well, her uncle buys fish at the market right next door to Jack's house. <laughs> uncle, it's her brother that's even closer. And, Don, as a special tribute to you, I'm going to have a bed of red tulips in front of the house that spell out Jell-O. J-E-L-L-O. Well, now, that's a lovely gesture, Jack, but why don't you also spell out the six delicious flavors? Oh, come now, Don. That would run into tulips, you know. But it's a... <laughs> but it's a, uh, it's a thought, anyway. Oh, hello, Kenny. Hiya, Jack. Hello, Don. Hello, Kenny. Hiya, Mary. Hiya, Phil. Hello. hello. Well, we're all here. <laughs> yes, we're all here, Kenny. In fact, we've been here since the program started. Where were you? Well, I was driving in from my place through Beverly Hills. I passed a bunch of carpenters building a house. <laughs> oh, boy, what a screwy place. <laughs> well, what are you fellas laughing at? It probably wasn't my house. No, this is right next to a fish market. That's Jack's place, all right. <laughs> now, wait a minute, Phil. That doesn't mean it was my house. There are a lot of fish markets. Uh, say, Kenny, was there a Turkish bath on the other side? Yes, there was. Wiggle out of that, Jack. <laughs> Say, maybe it was my place. What were the carpenters doing, Kenny? Were they busy? I'll say they were selling lumber. Selling lumber? <laughs> I've warned them time and again. Mary, get me Mr. Burgess on the phone right away. Play, Phil. I'm going to get a bloodhound, so help me.
That was, um, that was, uh, say, Phil, what was that number you just played? Uh, just a minute, Jack. I'll ask one of my boys. Hey, Frank, uh, what was that number we just finished? Mama, that moon's here again. <laughs> no, no, that was last week. I mean the one we just got through with. Well, never mind, Phil. No, I want to find out. <laughs> hey, Charlie, do you know what that number was? Crestview, 1478. Not her, I mean the number we just played. <laughs> now, Phil, look, you're the leader. You ought to have some idea what it was. Well, how did I know you were going to ask me? <laughs> well, the heavens, I've got to announce something. Mary, did you recognize the number Phil just played? No, and neither did the guy that wrote it. <laughs> oh, well, let it go. Anyway, folks, that was something or other from the picture of the same name played by Phil Harris and his orchestra. <laughs> and very good, Phil. And now, ladies and gentlemen, going from our mystery to our dramatic offering, tonight for our feature attraction, the Benny Cutrate Theater Guild <laughs> will present their version of that current Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer success, A Yank at Oxford. Oh, boy, Robert Taylor was in that. Yes, Mary, also Lionel Barrymore and Maureen O'Sullivan. Now, in our version, I will naturally play the part of Robert Taylor. Why? Why? <laughs> well, because Bob and I are very much alike. He's about as tall as I am, and we uh, buy our handkerchiefs in the same drugstore. <laughs> and we... Oh, really, we do. And we even like the same girl, Barbara Stanwyck. Only he goes out with her. Is that so? Say, I could get a date with Barbara Stanwyck, too, couldn't I, Mary? You couldn't get a date with Barbara Fritchie. <laughs> Barbara Fritchie? What studio is she with? 18th Century Fox and keep still. <laughs> now, getting back to our drama, I will play the part of that track star and all-around athlete, Robert Benny, better known as Speedy. And Mary will be Marino Livingston, my sweetheart. Uh, say, Jack, who's going to play your father? You know, Lionel Barrymore's part. Well, I'll tell you, Mary, I've been trying to get Lionel Barrymore himself to play it. I've been sort of fishing around for him, but... So far, no luck. Why don't you put some money on the hook? <laughs> well, don't, don't tell me how to run my business. Anyway, I couldn't get Lionel Barrymore, but I did get a fellow who I think can handle the role very well. Mr. Lionel Kvetz. <laughs> Is he here yet? Here I am, Mr. Benny, just raring to go. Uh, now, uh, Mr. Kvetch, you're sure you can play the part of my father all right, huh? Well, I played Hamlet, and your old man ain't no better than he is. <laughs> oh. Well, then I guess you'll do, huh? But there's just one thing, Mr. Benny. What's that? I've been listening to Fred Allen, and according to what he says, I think I better get paid in advance. <laughs> well, let me tell you something, Mr. Kvetch. Fred Allen should be the last guy in the world to say that I'm cheap. Why, is he that way, too? <laughs> now, listen. Any man that'll use the same toothbrush for nine years and then have it re-bristled... Well... <laughs> well... Gee whiz, he can't be that bad. He can't, eh? Now, you may not believe this, Mr. Kvetz, but Alan makes his own underwear out of old flower sacks. <laughs> His shorts have swans down stamped on them. Is that a fact? Absolutely. I kicked him in the pants one day and started a dust storm. <laughs> well, that ought to take care of Mr. Allen for this week. <laughs> 
And now that our play, A Yank at Oxford, is all cast, we will go on with it immediately after Kenny Baker's number. What are you going to sing, Kenny? Good night, Angel, from Radio City Revels. Oh, from Radio City Revels. Say, Kenny, you're in that picture, aren't you? I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. Oh. Well, you ought to know whether you made a picture or not. Well, I know I was in the Golden Follies, by gosh. Well, how do you happen to remember that? A lamp fell on me. <laughs> oh, well, brush the glass off your head and sing your song, will you? Okay. Sing, Kenny. Now, let's call Concentrate now and get in the mood of our play, everybody. Angel, sung by Kenny Baker. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to present well, our... Wait a minute, Jack. Am I going to be in a play tonight? Oh, sure, Kenny. You're going to be a young Englishman. Why can't I be a professor at Oxford? Well, in the first place, Kenny, you haven't any brains. <laughs> and in the second place... That's enough. I think so. And now, folks, we are going to present our dramatic highlight of the evening, our own little vehicle, a Yank at Oxford, or a Cluck in Waukegan. <laughs> Take it, Don. The scene opens in the general store of Lionel Benny in the thriving little community of Waukegan, Illinois. 
His son, Robert, the star athlete of the town, is leaving that night for Oxford. Curtain. Music. Hello? Waukegan Emporium. Yes, Mrs. Smith? Yes? All right, I'll tell him. Goodbye. Oh, Dad? What is it, Speedy? <laughs> Mrs. Smith says that the mousetrap you sold her yesterday is the wrong size. Wrong size? How does she know? She just caught a bear in it. <laughs> there ain't no bears around here. It must be her husband. Well, I better tell her she's going to make a rug out of him. Never mind that. Here, son, deliver this order of groceries to Mrs. Bunker. She lives at 216 Maple Street. Well, that's only about a mile away, Dad. I can make it in no time. You know, I won the 100-yard dash this morning. You did? Who did you run against? Seabiscuit. <laughs> well, here I go, Pop. Here are your vittles, Mrs. Bunker. Thanks. Goodbye. <laughs> well, what's next, Pop? <laughs> Well, doggone speedy, you made that pretty fast. Now take this stepladder and get me that box of crackers off the top shelf. I don't need a ladder, Paul. You know I hold the record for the high jump. Here I go. <laughs> Out. <laughs> Darn that low ceiling. <laughs> Here are the crackers, Paul. Well, I better run home and pack my duds. You know I'm leaving for Oxford tonight. That's right, my boy. I hate to see you go, but you got to get a good education. Yeah. Here's your steamship ticket from New York to London. Steamship ticket? Keep it, Paul. I'm going to swim over. <laughs> now, hold on, Speedy. Just because you swam across Lake Michigan don't mean you can swim the Atlantic Ocean. That's right, Paul. Maybe I better take it easy. No. I'll row across. Uh, that's the way to talk, my son. Say, did you tell Maureen you're leaving? No, Dad, I didn't. I just couldn't bear to tell her. We've been going together for eight years, and I'm afraid it'll break her heart. I know, son. It'll be a great shock to her. Here she comes now. Gosh, she looks pretty. Hello, Maureen. Hello, Seedy. That's Speedy. <laughs> Gee, you look sweet, Maureen. You're always so classy and Stylish. Uh, how do you like this new dress I knitted? Oh, it's beautiful. Turn around. Let me see the bag. Oh, no, it isn't finished yet. <laughs> now, listen, Maureen. There's something I must tell you. Something that, gee, I, I don't know how to begin. Well, I do. I want a can of corn, a pound of coffee, three lamb chops. Maureen, I must tell you. I'm leaving tonight for Oxford. A dozen eggs. Can't you understand, honey? I'll be gone four long years. Four years, Bob? Yes. That's terrible, and a bottle of ketchup. <laughs> now, don't take it so hard, gal. After all, it won't be forever. You'll be true to me while I'm gone, won't you? Yes, Bob. I'll be as true as Ben Turpin with a bow and arrow. <laughs> That's the spirit. You're the sweetest, dearest girl I've ever known. Say you'll wait for me. Why, Bob, I'll wait for you till the cows come home. That's wonderful. When are they coming home? Tomorrow. Oh. Well, I got to run along now and pack. Goodbye, Maureen. So long, Dad. I'll see you both at the station. Goodbye, son. So long, Speedy. Hey, Maureen, watch me uh, jump over the pickle barrel on the way out. Here I go. Oh, gee, it's the first time I've missed. Now I'm all dill. <laughs> Thank you.
We now take you to the railroad station where the whole town has turned out to see Speedy off. Listen to George Pritchard and his Philharmonic Orchestra. Well, friends, as you all know today, I am bidding Waukegan a doy. I may not be the best student at Oxford, but I'll win every athletic event from ping pong to screeno. Thanks, friends, and I'll be seeing you in four years. Hooray! Of course, I may come back sooner. Ooh. But I doubt it. Hooray! Well, so long, Paul. Goodbye, my boy. Take good care of yourself. Well, Maureen, aren't you going to kiss me goodbye? I'll say I am. And aren't you going to... You gonna miss me, honey? I'll say I am. Gee, it looks like rain. I'll say I am. Oh, stop already. <laughs> I think I am. I'll say I am. <laughs> well, goodbye, darling. Goodbye, Bob. Hurry back in four years. I will, dear. Come on, Marine. Let's go to a movie. Okay, Stanislaus. <laughs> Stanislaus? Who is this guy? Uh, my new boyfriend. The cows came home early. Oh, I see. All aboard! Train leaving for Chicago, Cleveland, Buffalo, Syracuse, Albany, and oh, a lot of places. <laughs> we now take you to the middle of the Atlantic Ocean where we find Speedy Betty in a rowboat headed for dear old England. <laughs> Uh, stroke. Uh, stroke. Uh, stroke. Sixteen days in a rowboat. Gee, I wish that shark would stop following me. What do you want, shark? A cup of coffee, a sandwich, and you. <laughs> uh, stroke. Uh, stroke. Uh. Oh, another boat. And look who's out there. Hello, FD. You're fishing kind of far out, ain't you? Uh, stroke. Uh. At last, our hero arrives in England, and now we pick him up on a road 15 miles out of London. He's lost and trying to find his way to Oxford. Stroke. Oh, pardon me, folks. I'm on land now. Gee, I've been walking around for days, and no one seems to know where Oxford is. Uh, Pardon me, sir. Is this the right road to Oxford? Oxford, old boy? My word. Is that in England? Well, gee whiz, it's supposed to be. Are you looking for Oxford on the Thames or Oxford on the A-bomb? I want just plain Oxford. What size? Nine and a half B. Oh, go away! (laughs) Gee, somebody must know where Oxford is. Oh, I say, young fellow. Hello, old thing. Can you tell me how to get to Oxford? Oxford, old thing? Yes. Well, old thing... Stop calling me old thing! (laughs) Now, do you know where Oxford is? I don't even know where I am. Cheerio. Cheerio. He's about as English as a hot dog. Two weeks later, and our hero is still trying to find the road to Oxford. We pick him up in the little village of Marmalade on the Crumpet. Gee, I'm so lonely and homesick. I wish I was back at Waukegan. I wonder what Marine is doing right now. Kiss me, Stanislaus. I'm sorry I asked. Oh, well. Gee, I hope I find that school pretty soon. Oh, I beg your pardon, ma'am. Carry on. Uh, how do I get to Oxford University? Well, first you 
have to go through high school. I've been through high school. <laughs> Look, all I want to know is what road do I take to get to Oxford? There's an inn right across the Y. Why don't you inquire there? I will. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> My, what a quaint little restaurant. Ye Brown Derby. I think I'll get something to eat. What ho, so heavy fish and chips, another customer. How'd you do? How'd you do? I'm, uh, I'd like a ham sandwich, please. Sorry, and we a glass any of milk. Ham, sir. What's that? Big pardon? I said I'd like a glass of milk. I heard you. I say we haven't any ham, sir. Oh. We have Yorkshire pudding and stewed tripe and uh, gooseberry treacle tarts. Treacle tarts? I'll have a go at that. <laughs> and give me a glass of milk. Oh, come now, old boy. You want tea. I want milk. Don't be a silly ass. Have tea. I'm not a silly ass, and I want milk. Now, you give me milk, or I'll tell Anthony Eden on you. Say, Lord love duck, give over. How about jello for dessert? Jello? That'll be ripping. Rather, it comes in six delicious flavors, you know. Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and limey. Well, I'll have a lot of that. Oh, by the way, maybe you can help me. I've been having an awful time trying to find Oxford University. Oxford? Do you spell it with an O? You spell it with an ox. <laughs> Now, how do I get there? My, that is a stumper, isn't it? But there's an American sitting over at that table. Perhaps he can guide you. Uh, why don't you ask him? I will. Well, pip, 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 and I do mean pip. <laughs> uh, pardon me, sir, you're an American, aren't you? Yes, I am. Well, maybe you can help me out. Do you know where Oxford is? Why, certainly. I just came from there. Oh, thank heaven. Now, how do I get there? Well, you go right down this road until you come to a big stone mill. Uh -huh. And then your friend has seen a part to stay with me. You'll remember to see the part to the right. The more we see for Tester's Porter, we'll see for Piper's Thin Me. Uh, and what Grandma saw for Don't Miss It, Finn Oh, you can't miss it. Now, wait. Look, I'm still at the old mill. Well, look, at, uh, yeah, uh, I know. At the old mill, you turn to the right, yeah. and you go on the safer course to spend me. Uh, don't you don't mean not the place that... Oh, don't miss every miss it. Oh, you mean at the, the right... Uh, there's still a real city of a fact of board in the seat. Oh, right? you turn to the... No, no, you just start part of the certain place that Oh. <laughs> oh, never mind. I'll go back to America. Maybe I can find Yale. Please. <laughs> Here's a way to give your family a cheerful springtime dessert tomorrow night. A swell new dessert that's quick and easy and sure to come out perfect. It's called Red Cherry Cup, and it's made with glowing cherry jello and canned red cherries. It's bright with color, it's crammed with fruit goodness, and it takes just next to no time to make. Dissolve one package of cherry jello in hot water and chill until slightly thickened. Then fold in two cups of seeded canned red cherries, turn into individual sorbet glasses, and chill until firm. Serve as is or topped with whipped cream. Either way, you've a prize winner. For cherry jello has a lovely crimson color and such a delicious extra-rich fruit flavor that it's hard to tell where the jello stops and the cherries begin. Just be sure to make your red cherry cup with genuine jello, for jello brings you that tempting extra-rich fruit flavor. Order some jello tomorrow and try this grand dessert. The last number of the 28th program in the new Jello series, and we'll be with you again next Sunday night at the same time. I hope you all liked our play, A Yank at Oxford. Say, Jack. What, Mary? When I was in your father's store, I forgot to order a pound of cheese and a loaf of bread. Look, Mary, that was only in the play. I don't care. I'm hungry. Well, so am I. Good night, folks. <laughs>
Jenny Baker appears on the Jello program through courtesy of Marvin Alloy Productions. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Okay, boy.